From savannahnow.com, I'm Adam Van Brimmer, and this is The Commute. On today's episode, the prosecution has arrested its case in the Ahmad Arbery murder trial after eight days of testimony and presentation of evidence. Journalist Raiza Haversham joins us from Brunswick to recap the trial's first half and to preview what's still ahead. Today is Thursday, November the 18th, and this is a Canute podcast presented by National Office Systems. The interview with Raiza Haversham is coming right up. As I mentioned just a second ago, this podcast is blessed with a sponsor, National Office Systems. If you are a regular listener to the Canute, you know about Scott Center and his team over at National Office Systems and how they are Savannah's experts in office design and outfitting. They work with top quality suppliers such as Dirt Modular Interiors and Herman Miller Office Furniture to create comfortable and productive workspaces. Learn more by visiting www.natoffsys.com. That's www.natoffsys.com. Now, here's the interview with Raiza Haversham. Joined on today's commute by journalist Raiza Haversham, who has been covering the Ahmad Arbery murder trial for us. And of course, Raiza and I talked a couple of weeks ago when jury selection was going on. And here we sit uh, at a point in the trial. We are recording this on Wednesday morning because she has to be in the courtroom on Thursday. So what is happening Wednesday is on Tuesday, the prosecution arrested that case. Wednesday, they're, as we speak, I think they're arguing some motions at some point today as expected or, or tomorrow on Thursday, the defense will start their case. So I guess you could say we're almost on the halfway point of the case. And Riza, this, is, this has been interesting. Uh, I think maybe the, uh, the defense attorneys, uh, one in particular, has probably made more news than anybody else <laughs> in terms of this case to this point. But uh, and I know you're in the thick of it, so sometimes it's hard to kind of pull back and, and get a 50,000-foot view. But if, if I'm asking, I am going to ask you to do that. Where, where do we stand and, and what are we to expect here, certainly between now and the holiday? Sure. Well, uh, the prosecution, as you said, rested its case Tuesday. Um, they've called 23 witnesses, uh, most law enforcement, some, um, a few neighbors were called to the stand as well to testify. Um, right now, it's in the hands of the defense. In between them, there are some motion hearings going on um, by the defense because they've um, filed a few. Um, you mentioned the defense attorney, um, Kevin Goff has been probably the most prominent of the attorneys because he has made headlines calling for a ban on Black pastors in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Judge Walmsley, who is a Chatham County uh, Superior Court judge, is presiding over the case, um, has pretty much told him repeatedly that won't happen. Um, so right now, as it stands, after they have their motion hearings this morning, we'll go into the defense side of things that focus on witnesses they may call um, that speak that will likely speak to the McMichaels and William Bryant's character or maybe their actions or probably their um, probably in particular Greg McMichael's background in law enforcement. Um, and obviously the prosecution is going to poke holes in that. Uh, the defense has largely tried to frame this as in some situations as self-defense. Right. You know, they've argued that Um, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, he could have ran out of the neighborhood if he felt like he was at risk or that his life was in um, great duress. 
But from their vantage point, they're saying that instead he tried to attack Travis McMichael and Travis McMichael had no choice but to, sh- but to shoot. Um, Kevin Goff, who represents William Bryan, um, the man who filmed everything, has um, essentially argued that his client is an innocent bystander in all of this. Um, Mm -hmm. The prosecution has, however, um, through their witnesses, pointed out that William Bryan filmed it, but he did not call 911 um, Mm -hmm. before. They also blocked the path, too. Yes, and he blocked the path. Um, Basically boxed in Ahmaud Arbery, right? Yes, he did. Um, And so it's been a bit of a back and forth. Um, This trial has been um, lengthened by the numerous motions filed during court. Um, And we'll probably see a little bit of that throughout the, as the defense presents its case. Um, They're expected to argue what trespassing is, um, probably Mm -hmm. frame what a dwelling is. Um, And I bring up a dwelling because the home at the center of this is Larry English. Um, He is a, I guess you could say future resident because his home is still kind of under construction. Um, The bones of it are pretty much there, Um, but they're defining what a dwelling is even, um, even as you've had people go on the property when it was just bare bones. Like, right. Right. And for if in the filler, buddy, and it, it maybe is missing this here is what happened was, was Ahmad Arbery was in this home under construction, kind of checking things out. We don't need to get into the details of why he was doing it or anything like that. But him coming out of this house and running away from this house, resuming his jog is what kind of sparked the McMichaels to follow him. So that's kind of where this house plays in, right? Yes, that is exactly where this house plays in. Um, and, you know, full disclosure, um, Larry English has said that there were other people who had been on the property um, and he called 911. Yeah, camera set up, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He had camera set up. He, he does not stay in Brunswick. Um, he stays in Douglas County, Coffee County, which is, I want to say, about 100 miles west of right, yeah. um, Glen County. Um, so he installed the cameras just to kind of monitor his property and, and all sorts of people would walk on the property. You had children who on their bikes were outside the property. We saw footage of that. Um, it's also important to note that, um, Larry English was, uh, is a witness for the uh, prosecution. However, because he is ill, he was unable to testify. They, okay. instead, they instead played about four hours of his deposition. Okay, um, And so he goes into great detail about that. Um, I also want to point out that Tuesday, I want to say Tuesday was when we saw um, first saw autopsy photos right. um, in the courtroom. Very much. You saw um, Ahmad's entire um, body. Um, yeah. We definitely saw the entry and exit wounds. Um, one thing that stood out to me, because, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor. Um, but the medical examiner noted that, um, there was a grazing wound on, um, Mr. Arbery's uh, hand, his like mm-hmm. uh, arm and in footage that you see of the shooting, you see kind of a liquid pour out and that's blood. Um, and I don't know that people made that connection before. Um, and he was, the uh, medical examiner was asked, you know, could he have died from that? And he says, yes, it's possible. Um, he goes into detail about why that's possible. 
Um, but he also said that in situations like that, typically you would tie a tourniquet around it. Right, to go- stop the bleeding. Yeah. yeah, to stop the bleeding. So he goes into some really good detail about um, just the entry points and exit points of the shooting itself. And so, showed the tremendous amount of damage a shotgun at close range can do to the human body. Yes, yeah. yes, he really did. Um, and it's not something, I, you know, that I don't think people think about day to day, especially if they're not handling a gun or if they haven't mm-hmm. been on the side, if they haven't been the victim of a shooting. We mentioned the house. I know you have a piece coming on the house. Well, what should people look for in terms of that piece? Sure. Um, so I spoke with um, Larry English's attorney just about the house where the progress is, even if he'll still live in it, um, which is kind of up in the air right now, um, just because there's still a lot of tension. This case is ongoing. Oh, yeah. And for all he knows, he could move back into the neighborhood and the McMichaels could very well still be his neighbors, depending yeah. on how the verdict goes. Right. Um, and so what kind of reconciliation do you have there? Hmm. Um, I've spoke with a few residents in the neighborhood who, you know, I, I was curious. I had looked up the housing um, market there. I looked up how many homes had been sold or hmm. been regifted. And you did see kind of an uptick after the shooting, after the February 23rd, 2020 shooting. Hmm. Um, and I, but I spoke to residents who were still there and some felt like, you know, this is my home. I'm not leaving. Um, one resident in particular felt like, you know, if you want the neighborhood to actively heal, you don't necessarily do that by leaving. Yes. Um, and so that that's the viewpoint from a few residents. You have had some who've moved for different reasons. Um, I think one uh, man who I have not spoken with yet, but one man in particular moved because I think the shooting was not far from his home. Okay. Yes. And, and to that point though, you do have, um, I think one witness that was on stand for the prosecution said that her parents lived in the neighborhood and they'd moved for, I think a different reason, but there's a bullet, um, that was shot through their home. Right. So, you know, there are just different reasons and different factors for why some residents are choosing to stay and some are choosing to leave. And some of it isn't directly tied to the trial. Right. Yeah, that's certainly, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, looker-loos driving through that neighborhood over the last year and a half too, probably. Yes. Changes the whole dynamic. Yes. And that's another thing, you know, you pop up um, in the neighborhood before there weren't as many Um, no trespassing signs. Now you kind of see them, especially along the strip of Satilla uh, Drive. You Mm -hmm. definitely see that um, there are no trespassing signs. Um, And I was curious, I kind of looked up what that meant. It doesn't necessarily, from what I read, it really just means that if there's something that happens on the person's property and that person is there, even with a no trespassing sign, then there that that homeowner is not liable so right. it just protects them from a liability yeah. insurance yeah 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 and a lawsuit perspective for sure so we mentioned that, that we're recording this on wednesday it's going to go up on thursday you're going to be in a courtroom there's going to be a lot of activity outside the courtroom a a prayer vigil prayer wall what how is it being characterized 
Sure. Um, thank you for asking that. So um, just to back up, we know that Kevin Goff has um, criticized the presence of Black pastors in the courtroom, mm-hmm. um, especially after Al Sharpton and then Reverend um, Jesse Jackson showed up um, to support the Aubrey family. Um, from there, um, attorney Ben Crump, who represents father Marcus Aubrey, um, called for, and along with Al Sharpton, called for 100 Black um, clergy to uh, go to the Glen County Courthouse and pretty much rally support for the family. Um, from And it, it'll be more than just, um, obviously, Black pastors. Uh, mm-hmm. Glen County um, faith community includes um, rabbis as well. Um, so you'll see, a, a you should see a good diverse mix as well. Um, but I believe it'll, the day will start off, I believe with a press conference at about eight um, and I think a prayer um, a lot, about 11 a.m. You'll also see a rally. Court will be in session then, um, but there will be a rally and about 3 p.m. There will be a walk into the, um, the into the neighborhood. Typically, um, demonstrators walk to the mural on Albany Street of Ahmaud Arbery. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. typically that's what's expected. Um, and a lot of parishioners have been outside the courthouse here and there. Um, some every day. So their presence in and outside the courtroom has been there. Um, Another group that's been there is the Transformative Justice um, Coalition, which uh, Goff has criticized as um, being intimidating as well to jurors and his uh, client. Um, Even though the way in which they enter the building, they can't see the- They can't see them, right. No, so they're not seeing them regardless. And, and really, the activity outside the courtroom, uh, courthouse, I know that was a concern coming in. We really haven't seen any kind of, it's, it's been peaceful and organized and no issues to this point. Right now, when the, when the, when the verdict goes out, that may change. But at this point, uh, much ado about nothing. Oh, you're absolutely correct. It's been peaceful overall. Um, what Glenn County has done is ask that people file a petition to protest, um, especially mm-hmm. if it's more than 100 people you're expecting. Um, and th- th- I imagine that their petition included being on the courthouse grounds and they were granted that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they can just up and move to wherever designated area people want them to be. They have to stay likely on the grounds. Um, and I imagine that that was why Thursday was so far out for this rally um, because you, they likely did have to file a petition and it was granted. Um, and that allows for other levels of protection as well. I know another piece you have coming is a, is a look at, at justice. Uh, can you kind of walk us through that and when should we look for that? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm writing another piece about faith um, and justice and in the courtroom. Um, I've spoken to just a few pastors just about you know, how do you reconcile something like this? And by this, I mean the loss of someone who just does what most people who are athletic do, jog through a neighborhood and they're gunned down. And you have these families who stay across a highway, a highway literally separates them. And then they are caught in this, um, at this crossroads of right and wrong. Um, and I've spoken to, you know, a few pastors locally in Glen County about this. And I think what they've all kind of pointed out was you think about the importance of faith in the justice system. You're there to kind of be a presence for 
the um, bereaved, those that are bereaving, and just lift them up and let them know that somebody is always here for you. Right. Right. Um, one person pointed out that, you know, even the McMichaels have a right to a pastor in court mm-hmm. um, and that some have prayed for them, too. Um, well, those that know them, um, they've prayed for those that know them because they know that they for them, for those that know the McMichaels a bit more intimately, they just are kind of surprised that this happened. Um, so extending that um, now, when you get to the area of, say, forgiveness, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they talk about how, you know, that in and of itself is a process and how they struggle yes. people through that. Um, one pastor also pointed out that, you know, we kind of get into the habit of good and bad, mm-hmm. um, right and wrong, black and white, when a lot of times God is in the gray area. That's right. Um, well, that's exactly where God is. Yeah. So just really talking about you know, how this case has kind of rippled through the Glen County, not just Brunswick, because um, mm-hmm. that's just where the courthouse is, but Glen County at large and just how faith has played a role throughout this trial and in the judicial process. Um, even speaking with colleagues, we've noted that Goff has kind of attacked um, the First Amendment. When you really think about it, he's been critical of media. He's been critical of religion. Um, He's been critical of your right to uh, assembly, peacefully assemble. Um, And so those things are kind of key here as well. Yeah. So I I know the defense, do we know how many witnesses they're going to call? I mean, how long it takes is going to depend a lot on cross and and redirect and everything else. But do we know how many witnesses are on their list? Do we know when we're going to have this done by December? That's a good question, Um, because we've repeatedly asked this um, from the prosecution and gotten gotten from the defense either. Our hope, fingers crossed, is that it probably won't run for the defense past Monday because they've already kind of gone through a a bevy of witnesses now. So we're kind of curious longer it'll last. Um, Assuming that we get everything wrapped by Monday, it'll go to jury probably that day or Tuesday. They may deliberate Tuesday, Wednesday, and we won't know about a verdict. Um, Obviously next week is Thanksgiving. And so we'll break for Thanksgiving and they may return back December. So we're looking at the latest this could go is that first week of December. The earliest is probably just next week, right before Thanksgiving, assuming that the verdict is rendered before we break for Thanksgiving. Right. Well, considering you're in your home away from home there in, in Brunswick at the hotel, I think we'll, we'll at least cross our fingers and root for earlier, but we'll just take it as it comes. Right. Yes. Yes. All right. Isaac, good work. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for taking the time this morning. And I think probably the next time we'll talk, we'll probably be talking about a verdict. So I look forward to it. Yeah. Thank you. I always enjoy coming on the committee. Other news of note in Savannah today, Savannah City Manager Jay Melder presented a plan to City Council on Tuesday for how to spend Savannah's $55 million share of American Rescue Plan funds. Melder's priorities cover things like affordable housing, infrastructure, recreation, and public safety. He says the federal COVID-19 relief funds provide, quote, 
a one-time opportunity for cities to make down payments and investments and make progress in key areas where we need to go forward, unquote. Also, Coastal Health Director Dr. Lawton Davis is reminding Savannah area residents that while the local COVID-19 trends show infections in steep decline, that the virus, quote, hasn't gone away, unquote. And he urges caution heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. On the Savannah music scene, organizers of the Savannah Stopover Festival have announced a 30-plus band lineup for the 2022 event to be held March 11th and 12th at the Georgia State Railroad Museum. Stopover is in its 11th year and is considered one of the best curated music discovery festivals in the United States. Read those stories and more at savannahnow.com, the online home of the Savannah Morning News. Get full access to savannahnow.com in our mobile app for just $1 a month for the next six months. Go to savannahnow.com slash subscribe now and sign up. That's all for the Thursday Commute Podcast. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, National Alpha Systems. For more interviews with local newsmakers, check out the Commute archives by searching The Commute with that Savannah Opinion. The Commute returns next Tuesday with a pre-Thanksgiving episode. Enjoy your weekend. <music>